Luke 2, 1 through 21. Abran sus Biblias al Evangelio según Lucas, capítulo 2, versículos 1 a 21. And kids, kids, if you were just sitting down there in front of the pulpit just now, you're now going to hear that same story with the Bible's portrayal of that story as God's Holy Spirit moved on, on the author Luke to recount the story of the birth of Jesus. This is, this is the, the first Christmas, as it were. So we're going to be reading from the ESV version here in English, beginning in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Read along with me this well-known story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
And at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is God's word. Would you pray with me briefly? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you that you did what we could not. You took the initiative when we when we had no deserving, we had no right, we had no expectation that you would take the initiative toward us. You sent him for us that we might be saved and live for his glory. Would we do just that this morning? See, your name we pray. Amen. Well, here you are on Christmas morning at church. Not in your living room in your pajamas, though if these are your pajamas, you're not sitting around a tree right now, you're not tearing open wrapping paper, you're not feasting on whatever your favorite traditional Christmas breakfast or brunch is, you're not sitting by a warm fire, you're here at church. Maybe you've already done all of that. Maybe maybe your kids got you up at 6 a.m. or maybe you got up at 6 a.m. because you just couldn't wait. And you already did all that before getting here this morning. But nevertheless, here you are on Christmas at church. Now, a lot of churches opted to to just do a Christmas Eve service and and cancel Christmas Sunday service. And I'm not saying that's, that's wrong or right. But it is interesting, isn't it, why a church would consider canceling a Sunday service. Why would this happen? Why would a church consider canceling this Sunday morning service? It's because they know, and I know, and you know, that this Sunday gathering contends with personal household traditions and personal plans like no other day of the year. Right? Like, no other day of the year do, do we hold our, our traditions and plans and, and desires more sacred than this morning. But doesn't the worship of Christ always contend with our traditions and our desires and our plans and our responsibilities? You see, I want us to take a moment this morning to realize that, to think about that, that that what is convenient and what is expedient for us is always fighting against the worship of Christ in all of life. This morning is, is merely representative of a reality that takes place in our hearts and lives every day. So I want this morning to, to really take that to heart and allow the consideration of the birth of Christ to inform that reality. So far more than than this being a brief message about you should come to church on Christmas, no, 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 that's that's not what I'm saying. Instead, let this Christmas Sunday be a reminder to all of us of the worth of Jesus Christ. To, To remind us that he is worth our attention Always. He is worth submitting our traditions 
to his glory. Submitting our traditions in service of him. He is worth every moment we could possibly give to him. And why is that? Well, it's because we've heard this, more, we've heard this, this past month that Christ was born for you. And bound up in that is that Christ was born from sinners and for sinners. And, and we've heard that Christ was born for sinners to save sinners from this, this, this horrible predicament that, that is our sin. But he was also born, sinner, born for sinners that, that we might have joy in him. But what the Christmas message ultimately tells us, what the birth of Christ ultimately tells us is that Christ was born for you to be glorified by you. Not just so that he could live, not so he could live in service to you, but so that you could live for his glory for the rest of eternity. Christ was born for you to be glorified by you. So, so I want to just step into the sandals of the shepherds for a moment this morning, to, to, to walk alongside them in what they experienced that night. Let's imagine that we're, we're on the hill with them on that night, having been stunned by this blindingly glorious revelation of, of angels, they, they tell us that something is happening in Bethlehem, in the city of David. And so we run, and the text says, with haste. I mean, they, they, they hurried down to see what the angels had just told them about. And what did they find when they came upon what they were searching for? They found a a Jewish man named Joseph, and a, and a young, likely teenage Jewish girl named Mary. And as they, as they sort of is moved toward what they were looking for, they realized there's something in one of the feeding troughs. Oh, and that's what we came to find. And in that feeding trough is, is a baby. And this baby, mind you, is not surrounded by an angelic halo. He's not emanating light. There is nothing physically remarkable about this baby. There's nothing in the surroundings telling you that there is anything significant about this baby. Yet, because, because of what you have just heard from the angels... You realize that lying quietly in front of you is Christ the Lord, as the angels had said. According to the angels, this was, this was God. They, they stood there in awe, watching the rise and the fall of the chest of who the angels alleged to be the second person of the Trinity. Allegedly, this baby was the God who had been God before creation itself, wrapping his tiny hand around Mary's finger. And another angel had appeared to Joseph. You remember when we were in Matthew chapter 1, had appeared to Joseph, and in Matthew 1.21 had told Joseph the task for which this baby was born. The angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, which means Savior. 
for he will save his people from their sins. This baby lying before the shepherds had come to diffuse our deepest dilemma. He'd been born to die in the place of sinners like you and like me so that we could be forgiven of our sins instead of being righteously judged for our sins. He'd been born so that we could be reconciled to God and spend, spend forever with Him in perfect happiness. Not fearing death, but rather seeing death as the gateway into eternal bliss because of this baby and what He had come to do. Francis Schaeffer once said, man is a sinner in need of an overwhelming love. And this child allegedly was born to supply that need to you, to the shepherds. And the shepherds, they believed what had been told them. Even though they didn't have all the information that Joseph had, they didn't have all the information that Mary had, based on their limited information that, 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 that Christ the Lord had been born in Bethlehem, based on that information alone, they believed. What evidence do we have that they believed? Well, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. It says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They told anyone who would listen. They told anyone who would listen. And, and, and think about this. The town of Bethlehem had already written Joseph and pregnant Mary off. The night before, they had come into Bethlehem seeking a place to stay, and, and the town of Bethlehem didn't care. Said, hey, we got, we got nowhere to... We got nowhere to put you up. Find somewhere else. The shepherds weren't telling people about this amazing couple or even about the circumstances surrounding the birth of their son. The people already knew about this couple and nobody cared. What the shepherds couldn't keep to themselves was, verse 17, the saying concerning this child that he's the Savior, he's Christ the Lord. Listen, you, you have now run down the hill with the shepherds. You've seen in your mind's eye what they have seen. You've heard their testimony. You know what they know. And in fact, you know far more than they know because you know that Jesus did accomplish what he had come to accomplish on his cross. Have you believed? Have you believed? Now, if you have believed this astoundingly, this astoundingly remarkable news, news that, that becomes familiar to us far too easily, but this astoundingly remarkable news that Christ the Lord was born as a baby, if you believe this news, then it should change what you do and say and think. If you have believed, you should be changed. 
Francis Schaeffer, once again, he said it this way. And, and listen to this. This is, this, is, this is poignant. This is so appropriate for us this Christmas morning. He says, having believed the Savior, can we imagine one of the shepherds remarking, it's very nice that I have seen an angel. And it is nice that I have seen the Christ, the Messiah, the Jews have been waiting for, for so long. And it's nice that I've believed in him, unlike some of the other people in Bethlehem. And, and it's nice that I'm going to be in heaven. But really, in practice, it's not going to make any difference at all in my life. Schaefer concludes, this is inconceivable, isn't it? That is inconceivable. That if the shepherds really do believe the angel's testimony about who this baby is, there is no way that they remain the same group of guys that they were at the beginning of that night. Their whole lives were turned upside down. What they did and what they said and what they thought about reality and their own lives and their, their meaning and what is important all of that changed because of that baby. A believing person, friends, is a changed person. A person who has seen the glory of God in human flesh is a person who cannot help but to live for His glory. That's what we're getting at this morning. That's what the message of Christmas tells us. That if we believe the shepherd's testimony, then, then, then when our plans and our traditions and our desires contend with the glory of Christ the Lord, there should be no contest. The central message of Christmas is far more than you should go to church on Sunday morning. If you think that's what, what it is, you're missing it. That's not the point. The point is, I have beheld the Savior, Christ the Lord, how could I do other than praise Him? Every Sunday gathering to worship Him becomes an absolute privilege. Like the shepherds telling others the news about Him, it's not a chore, but it's a natural response. Every moment of life is now an opportunity to bring Him glory in some way, in some shape, or some form. Every moment of life is submitted in service to Him as an act of worship to Him. And that's precisely what the shepherds did. That's what their, their lives looked like. They did not return unchanged. Look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, they did return, but glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Because Christ was born for them to be glorified by them. And Christ was born for you to be glorified by you. As we leave this morning to resume our traditions, whatever it is you're doing, if you're driving somewhere this morning as you leave, if you're going out to lunch, if you're going over to relatives, if you're just going back home,
to do whatever it is you do. May those activities not be merely self-serving sentiments, but acts of praise and worship to our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may our lives be acts of worship unto you. Would you be the end-all, be-all of our existence? Would, would our thoughts, our words, our deeds, our plans, our responsibilities, our traditions exist in service of you? Would our lives this Christmas and for the rest of 2023 and the rest of our lives be lived in worship of you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.